First off, I want to mention to you, I want to welcome you all to our Unlock Revelation seminar. It's interesting that uh, this series, by the way, we this series uh, will be going on for, what, 21 nights altogether? And it's interesting that about 100 years ago, even 50 years ago, people were more into the Bible than they are today. But yet we're finding more people, younger people, who are starting to get interested once again in the Scriptures. Oftentimes we wonder why this is so. I think probably several things, but two stand out in particular. Number one is the secularization of America. And there, there are so many things going on, and there are those who are skeptical of anything religious. Secondly, we have a multitude of different religions now in America that perhaps they didn't have a hundred years ago. And that influx is also adding to this. And I think a third one is that there are so many different interpretations that are being thrown out there that a lot of people think, well, Revelation can mean whatever you want it to mean. And for that reason, some people say, I don't even bother studying Revelation because you can't understand it anyway. But there are so many different interpretations out there. And we're going to be talking about the different types of uh, interpretations of Scripture a little bit later. So because of this, people are more and more confused about the book of Revelation. Tonight, rather than use a chapter-verse approach, that's for the advanced Revelation, I mean the second part of Revelation, another seminar that we do. This one, we're using the topic approach to show you the major themes of the book of Revelation, to give people a background, to give them an understanding of the whole scripture and how the whole scripture interrelates into the book of Revelation. Actually, the book of Revelation is kind of like a bicycle wheel. And down in the middle is the hub. And the spokes that come out, these are the different, these are the different books of the Bible. And they feed in toward the center. The books of the Bible feed in to the book of Revelation. And so tonight, this is the approach we're going to be using. We're going to be looking at different parts of the Bible as it refers to the major themes. I want you to first off understand that the title Unlock Revelation is chosen for a specific reason. Because what we want you to do in this seminar, we want to be able to give you the keys so that you can unlock the book of Revelation for yourself. And this is the reason why we're using this particular approach. So, we need to ask ourselves, is the Bible relevant for our times? I heard not too long ago someone said that we need to rewrite the Ten Commandments because they're not relevant for today. There are those who say, well, the book of Revelation is irrelevant. And a while ago, Reader's Digest came out with a Bible that left out Revelation. And they got in trouble for it, and they had to put it back in. 
So we need to be careful that we ask ourselves, is it relevant for our times? The purpose of our our meeting here tonight is to show our day in prophecy, to make us aware of where we're at in the scope of time, as Jesus outlined it for us. So we're going to be bouncing around a bit, and we'll be getting into specific. Matter of fact, tomorrow night, we're going to get into the grandfather prophecy, the, the one that outlined the history of the world 2,600 years in advance with 100% accuracy. Come back tomorrow night for the rest of the story, okay? But as we look at this book tonight, we want to discover where we fit in the scope of time. It wasn't too long ago when telegrams were the latest technology. If you wanted to send a message to someone in California, you go to the nearest post office, there you would send a telegram. They would wire it to another post office, they'd send out a courier to deliver it. And it was the state of the art at the time. Telegrams were expensive. They were also, there was also a time delay in trying to get a message from one place to another. When the Wright brothers down in uh, Kill Devil's Hills in North Carolina had their first flight, they sent a telegram. The technology at that time was considered, you know, the, the state of the art in communications. It beat the Pony Express. The state of the art today is texting. I was, uh, a couple of years ago, I was principal of a school down in Grand Rapids, and it was very interesting. Two kids could be sitting beside each other, and they're texting back and forth, not conversing at all. And I thought, what a wonderful way to have a conversation. Nonverbal. But through texting, or perhaps even email, you'll be getting the latest information. But, you know, God wants to communicate with us. He doesn't use texting. He uses the word of God, the scriptures. And yet, that is so much, uh, so much today, it's ignored. People have Bibles. The Bibles are probably uh, the best known book. They, it's uh, one of the best sellers. But in most homes, it just sits on a shelf and gathers dust. So, the book of Revelation is God's love letter to us. Let's look a little bit about it. First off, the book of Revelation was written by John. Now, some try to say, well, it was John the Elder. It was John the Apostle. How do we know it was written by John? Because he says, I, John, saw. So it indicates that he himself was the author of it. This is the same John who was with Jesus when he was baptized. He's the same John who was with Jesus when he was crucified. John lived to be about 100 years old, give or take a little. Matter of fact, he was probably older than 100. He was uh, very much a leader in the early Christian church. Because of his religious beliefs, 
he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. The Isle of Patmos is a Greek island just off the coast of what we call today Turkey. And John was there until the emperor died, who put him there. Then the emperor put him there because he thought he was isolating him. He thought he was getting rid of this old man to put him on this prison camp on a desert island. But you know, sometimes when we think God doesn't know what he's doing, God does things for a purpose. He doesn't work the way we do. He has his own plans. You see, there wasn't a better place for John to be, to be alone, to write. And so we find it was on this island that John writes the book of Revelation. Finally, after the emperor dies, he goes back home to Ephesus. And there, John continued to preach and lead. And it was there that he probably wrote his gospel of John. Believe it or not, Revelation was written before the gospel of John. And so, this is the apostle John. Sometimes in his letters... He refers to himself as John the Elder. And so John the Elder, John the Evangelist, the Apostle John, we're talking about the same person. But when he wrote the book of Revelation, what did he choose to reveal in it? Right in the scripture itself, in Revelation 1.1, it says the revelation of what? It's not only the revelation about Jesus Christ, It's the revelation of his will. It's the revelation of what God's plan is. Now notice also, it says, which God gave unto him. So where did the book of Revelation originate? In the mind of God, right? If you look at that verse, I don't have the whole slide on there, but if you look at that verse, it says that God gave the revelation to Jesus. And then it says that Jesus signified it. Now, the word signified, in the original language, it means signified. In plain words, Jesus put it into signs and symbols, you see. He signified it. And then he gave it to an angel. Now, that angel was very likely... uh, the angel Gabriel. Then Gabriel, or the angel, gave it to John, the apostle. And John, who is also a prophet, he gives it to John, and John writes it down and gives it to us. So what John saw was uh, a TV screen. He saw all this stuff taking place. And then he wrote down what he saw and passes it on to us. So this is the method by which we receive the book. And why did he do it? It said, for the time is at hand. In plain words, what he's saying is the things that the book of Revelation talks about takes together all the stuff from creation that points down to the end of time And he brings it all together and he says, we are now moving into end times. 
Now, when we say end times, there's a difference between end times and the time of the end. I like the way one preacher put it. He said that when he was a boy, he had uh, his father used to raise turkeys. And as they moved toward November, they would really fatten up those turkeys. You see, those turkeys didn't realize that they were in end times. And then, the day before Thanksgiving, he would go out with a hatchet. And he'd go, whack! And for that turkey, it was the end of time. Right? So, there's the time of the end, and then there's the end of time. And we need to realize that when we start looking at these prophecies, from times, the time of John forward, he starts talking about we're moving in, in uh, end times. But there is a specific time prophecy that tells us we're in the last stages. And we'll talk about that one later. So we find that the time is at hand, which means it's relevant It's relevant as it unfolds. People today are kind of skeptical about talking about end times. That the end of the world is coming. Why? Because there's so many predictions out there that it is kind of ominous to think that time cannot last much longer. But yet, the scripture indicates that it does. You see, the world is about to wrap up things here. The Lord is about to wrap things up. And the Bible tells us that even though there are some things that are kind of scary that the book talks about, yet the end times are actually a blessing. The thought of the coming of the Lord is actually the beginning of something better. It's the end of something that isn't so good. But it's the beginning of something better. So what does Revelation do? Revelation offers hope. Revelation to those who are not prepared. Those who are on the wrong side of the will of God. For them it's very scary. But in our table discussion, when you were doing your, your table work there, someone mentioned that it's really a, a positive thing, the end of, end of time. For the evil of this world passes. You know, it's interesting that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Do you realize that Job was actually written before the book of Genesis? Moses wrote the book of Job as well. And we find that Job way back toward the beginning of the scriptures, we find that Job not only looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, but he even looked beyond that to the second coming of Jesus. How do we know that? Let's look at what it says. For I know that my Redeemer lives. He doesn't say will live. He he knows that he is already alive before he was ever born. He goes on to say, and he shall stand on the earth. Did Jesus come and stand on the earth? The Messiah actually stood on the earth. 
And then he says, and after my skin is destroyed, in plain words, after I'm dead, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God. Now, wait a minute. I thought his flesh was decaying in the grave. Yet he says, in my flesh I shall see God. What is he talking about? He's talking about a resurrection that the book of Revelation talks about. And not only that too, but whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. And notice what he says. How my heart yearns within me. I'm just, I'm, I'm, oh, please Lord, come soon. How many people have we laid to rest that we hope someday to be able to see them? And notice he says, in his flesh. He's not talking about being a spirit. He's talking about the resurrected body he would be in. And he would see his Lord. So we find that this concept of the second coming of Christ is not new. It goes all the way back to the beginning. The word of God builds upon that through the various prophets, and it culminates in the book of Revelation. In Matthew 24, 3, notice what it says here. You see, the disciples connected the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. They connected that with the end of the world. And it's true that the, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was a sign that they were facing tremendous times and that there was something that was about to come to an end. But it wasn't the end of the world for them, I guess. As far as they were concerned, it was the the end of their world, but it wasn't the end of this earth yet. Jesus uh, Jesus knew what their thoughts were. And notice the pains he takes in working with them. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age means the end of the world. What will the signs be? They thought perhaps just the destruction of the temple and then Jesus would come. But notice what it says. But of that day and hour, no man knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. When Jesus was walking around on this earth, even Jesus didn't know when the second coming would be. Now, whether he knows it now or not, now that he's back up in heaven, maybe the Father's told him since. But when he was on earth, actually the way this is translated in some Bibles, it says that no one, no man is is authorized to reveal the day and the hour. If anyone tries to tell you, well, Jesus is coming next year on on uh, November 3rd, uh, that didn't come from the Lord. And tonight, we are not going to set any day or hour or, or any, we're not going to be time setters because the scripture warns against that. However, that doesn't mean that we cannot recognize signs that are leaning leading up to the coming of the Lord. The scripture tells us that we can know those. And so Jesus gives us certain signs. Where do we find these? In the word of God. 
Now I want you to notice in 2 Timothy 3.16. How much of the scripture does it say is inspired? All. There are some who say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian and I don't have to read the Old Testament. I don't have to study the Old Testament. All I need is the New Testament. And then they try to interpret the book of Revelation. But you don't realize in doing that that you're throwing out some of the master keys for understanding it. Because some of the things that are spoken of by Daniel and some of the other prophets, they even use the same imagery in the book of Revelation. And so when it says all scripture is inspired, the word inspired means God breathed. God's the origin of it. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired this, the uh, Bible writers to write. In so doing, it's saying that both the Old and the New Testament are inspired by God. The Old Testament pointed to the first coming of Jesus. The New Testament points to the second coming of Jesus. And so, Jesus said he would that he was giving them signs. They asked for signs. He says, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you some signs to look for when we're getting closer to the time of the end. And what he says here in Matthew 24, notice, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have we ever heard of anything like that? Wars and rumors of war. Do you realize that the 20th century saw more people put to death from wars than any other century up to modern times. And in World War I alone, 24 million people died as a result of that war. And then World War II, 60 million people. And my friends, that is not even taking in Vietnam, Korea, um, the Gulf War, and some of these, yeah, Afghanistan, and some of these others. We can see that we are living in end times, and it's not isolated. These wars are popping up all over the world, especially in the Middle East. Would we hear of wars? Yes, we would. He also mentions, among the signs, that there would be famines. Look at Mark 24, 7. And notice what it says there. And there will be famines, pestilence, earthquake in various places. It's not just one single place, but various places. What about famines? What about the, the uh, starving of so many people? We find that World Hunger Organization says that 900 25 million hungry people are in the world today. 920 million. That's a lot, 25 million. That's a lot of people, my friends. And when I go to a restaurant and I see, oh, when they can't sell that food, how much of it they throw out? How much of our own food ends up in the garbage can? And we think of all those who are starving. As a matter of fact, we are told that uh, almost a billion people are hungry around the world. In 2008, 
we find that three million children uh, died before the age of five from hunger-related causes. As we, we, an advanced society, an advanced world, and yet the average American wastes 220 pounds of food every year. Just throw it out because it's spoiled or whatever. I wonder how many people that would feed. What about pestilences? What is a pestilence? A disease, an epidemic. We're finding more and more things popping up as time goes on. And notice here, one of the signs would be pestilences. The AIDS virus kills more than 2 million people every year. One person dies every 15 seconds from AIDS. That's a lot of people. And what about heart disease? Do you ever think of heart disease as being a pestilence? In a sense, it is. Because it is taking the lives of so many people today. 27 million people living today have been diagnosed with heart disease. This is a lifestyle-related disease in many cases. Some people don't realize they have heart disease until they have a heart attack and die. And then it's kind of late. What about diabetes? 26 million Americans suffer from diabetes. Again, a lot of that is uh, lifestyle-related. Cancer. Cancer is in epidemic proportions now. 1.5 million new cancer cases every year. That's 600,000 cancer deaths every year. And it seems to be growing. Uh, We seem to be running into it more and more. And then there are rather exotic diseases. We run into SARS and Ebola. You know, I read a book about Ebola. Actually, I listened to a series of tapes about Ebola. That is a horrible disease. Ebola, mad cow disease, bird flu. And we might add on there our latest, the Zika virus, that is now making its way up toward us. All these things are signs that Jesus talked about. And then there are earthquakes. And there shall be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. You know, along with earthquakes also come tsunamis. And tsunamis can be thrown in there too. I don't think we've seen, I don't think we've seen nearly the uh, intensity of these that we're going to see. The uh, seismologists are telling us that earthquakes are getting stronger. And the strong earthquakes are getting more frequent than they used to. And with them come a great deal of water damage and tsunamis. And they're, they're coming up all around the world. I remember when Japan was hit not too long ago by an earthquake. It actually moved one of the islands six feet away from where it was before. Can you imagine a whole island moving six feet? 
And then the tsunami that came in washed away a lot of the people. I remember also, what was it, 2012 was it? When Thailand got hit with a tsunami. 220,000 people, I believe it was, were washed away by that, that one tsunami that came in. Yes, and it's, these earthquakes are happening all over. Fortunately, here in the United States, we've not experienced the intensity. But those who live in California, they're still waiting for the San Andreas Fault to go. And what about hurricanes? Remember Hurricane Rita? And after that also, we had Hurricane Katrina. And we know what happened to New Orleans as a result of that. Are these some of the last signs, the signs of the last days? Will they intensify? Will we be seeing more of them? As a matter of fact, in the Amazon basin, they had uh, droughts that, like they had not had in 100 years. And then within five years, they experienced another drought that was just as severe as that one. So they got hit with two droughts that were greater than what they had experienced in 100 years. <clears throat> yes, my friends, those are the physical signs. But what about the human signs? Notice what it says in Matthew twenty four thirty seven. Jesus himself said this, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now he's talking way beyond the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking about something in the future here. And he says, the end times will be like in the time of Noah. What was the time of Noah like? Of course, we know that the earth was destroyed by flood in the time of Noah. Why? Because of the wickedness of the people. Notice what it says in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. There are some people who plot and think evil all the time. I remember when I was a kid. I shouldn't tell you this, but I will. Okay? When I was a kid, one of the programs I really used to like to watch, and it's probably worked for me for life, but I used to like to watch Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Anybody remember Alfred Hitchcock? Oh, good. Now I know how old you are. Uh, <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And I used to marvel at that man. He could kill people in the most interesting and unique ways. Right? You know, and I thought to myself, he must stay up all night long thinking how he can kill somebody. He had to be thinking about this all the time. Is that what that might be talking about? Are there people today who are trying to invent new bombs to blow people up? New ways of torturing people? Matter of fact, at our table, it's just mentioned that, what was it? Brother, what did you say? It was just a day or two ago that a priest 
what was that? In the Middle East, was crucified. Matter of fact, it was on Easter, wasn't it? That uh, was it. Al Qaeda. That anyway, they took him uh, a priest and they crucified him. You see, crucifixion was the worst form of death penalty that the Romans could invent. That's why they used it on Jesus. And so we find that there's wickedness constantly being devised. And we know who's the author of those kind of things. New ways of slitting people's throats. Notice what it also says in Genesis 6, 11. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with what? Violence. Doesn't this all feed into what we're talking about? Now, you may say to yourself, oh, yeah, but this has gone on and on for centuries. True, it has. How many remember Columbine? And at Columbine, there were 15 people who were, who were uh, shot to death by two boys who went off the deep end. As a matter of fact, we thought, well, we'll get past that. But then again, the University of Virginia saw 33 people just shot for no reason at all. As a matter of fact, we are told by officials that now they expect every two months that there will be a school shooting somewhere. I didn't remember any of that when I was a kid. And I thought I knew what was going on. But something is happening, folks. Our society is going haywire. Our society is intensifying. And this is, says nothing about ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, and some of the other groups that are out there. What about the, the uh, shootings in Norway? What about the, the Boston bombers? All of these horrendous acts. And we would think that things can't get worse than they were with the, the um, 9-11 Twin Towers. I, I Believe it or not, I was up on top of the Twin Towers uh, just a few years, well, quite a few years before those Twin Towers came down. I know what it looked like from the top. The bottom now is gone. We have all kinds of leaders who are pushing society to uh, greater atrocities. And we will see this uh, continually going on. M- Matthew 24, 8 says something very interesting here. It says, all these are the beginning of what? Now, actually, what does the word sorrows mean? In the original language, we know what sorrow means. Generally, we think. But in reality, what this is really saying is, this is the beginning of birth pangs. Birth pangs. When when a woman is about to have a child, she goes through labor. And the labor, the pain, as closer you get to the time of delivery, the pain intensifies. It's more frequent. It's stronger until finally there's one big contraction and then the bundle of joy comes. 
right? The same way with the second coming of Jesus. We find that these signs are birth pangs. They intensify as time goes on until finally they, there's a, a tremendous conflict that goes on in the world and then comes Jesus to bring an end to all this. He's bringing a new world where there be no more violence, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. This is why it says these are the beginning of sorrows, the beginning or the birth pangs of what's to come. Look what it says in Luke 21.8. Now when these things begin to happen, lift up your heads, look up, and because your redemption draws near. Look up because the one who is coming to deliver us will be coming in the clouds of glory. Revelation capitalizes on this. It tells us the events that surround it and what takes place uh, after that. What's another sign? Notice what it says here, Daniel 12, 4. Remember I said there's a definite connection between Daniel and Revelation. Hand and glove, they go together. Notice it says, knowledge shall increase. Now, we think we know what that means. But in reality, when it says knowledge shall be increased, there's two applications of this. The primary application is the knowledge of God's word will increase. This is the reason why we're having these kind of seminars, so that people's knowledge of the word of God will increase. Secondly, the secondary application is that relating to the secular world. Is knowledge increasing in the world about us? You know, even though I have to have a doctorate, sometimes it's rather embarrassing when you have to go down the hall and find a first grader who can fix your computer for you. Right? Knowledge is increasing. And as we look at this, look at here, talking about computers. A five megabyte hard drive in 1956 weighed a ton. It took a forklift to move it. My friends, I want you to know that if you have a smartphone in your pocket, your smartphone is three and a half thousand times more memory in that than that thing had. Just since 1956. Three and a half thousand times more memory. I wish my brain had that. Remember this machine? I remember when I was a kid, we were the first one on our block to have a television. And oh, we were so proud of that. We could get one channel. One channel. Not only that, but Aiden, in those days, way back in ancient history when I was a kid, we actually had to get up and turn the knob off and on by ourselves. And when we finally got three channels, we thought we were on top of everything. But we even had to get up to turn the channel. That's a long time ago, I know. And you'll have to go to a museum now to find a telephone that you dial. 
Those things aren't around anymore. Has knowledge increased? I think so. Even televisions are becoming obsolete with computer screens and all. Notice what Matthew says in Matthew 24, 4 and 5. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Does anybody happen to remember Father Divine? Anybody ever hear of him? Oh, I'm the only old one. Anyway, Father Divine was a man who claimed that he was God the Father. He, he claimed that he could not die. And he lived to be an old man. But you know what? He used to sleep at night in a coffin. That tell you anything about him. But he said that he could never die until one day he died. And then not well, a few decades later, Jim Jones comes along. Jim Jones led more than 900 people to their deaths in South America, all in the name of God. Now, Jim Jones was a well-respected preacher. He was a man who was known by the uh, politicians and the people out in California. He was influential. And yet one day, he, he was preaching to his people, and he said, you know what's the matter with you people? You pay too much attention to this book. And he threw it down on the floor. And he said, I want you to start listening to me. My friends, those people should have gotten up and walked out of there. But they didn't. And as a result, 900 people died because they chose to follow him instead of the word of God. I want you to know that whatever I tell you or any other preacher tells you, if they say something that sounds strange to you, just say, uh, could you tell me where you find that in the word of God? And my friends, if we can't give you a reasonable explanation from the word of God, say, well, thank you, I'll go with the word of God. If they had done this with Jim Jones, they would have been alive today. What about David Koresh? That wasn't his real name. His real name was Vernon Howell. He took the name David Koresh from King David, and Koresh meant uh, King Cyrus. And he took the name David Koresh, and people believed that he was actually divine, that he was the second coming of Jesus. And there are many of his followers today who still believe that he was a divine being. Sun Young Moon, who claimed that he, that Jesus didn't quite finish the job, he came to do it. My friends, we need to be careful. There are, will be those who will be coming to lead us away from the word of God and follow strange, and, uh, strange theology about the scriptures and who God really is. As we look at the word of God, we find it's to be the basis of our teaching, the basis of our belief. And in these end times, 
in these final days of earth's history, we are not to be a people of fear. We are to be a people of faith. Because the best is yet to come. And when Jesus comes back, he comes back to bring us hope. The world is in his hand. God is still in control. Even though other, you know, we may think, oh, the devil's really in charge of this world and he's really, he's really raving around and causing havoc. It's true, he's doing all that stuff. But my friends, God is bigger than the devil. And the, he only allows the devil to go just so far. And God is still the one who's in control. And someday, not too far in the future, Jesus himself will come to bring an end to the events on earth. There are those who, who will tell you, oh, well, the world's going to come to an end because the earth is going to fall into the sun, will be burned up, or, or we're going to be hit by a comet. Uh, we may... Uh, you know, there, we may set off a bomb and blow ourselves to pieces. Well, I suppose some of these things might be possible, but that isn't the, the way the world's going to end. If it were up to us, we would destroy ourselves. But God himself brings an end to things on earth. And because of this, we are to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. He will deliver us. My friends, he's giving us signs. He's giving us warnings. But how are we listening? It was only a hundred years ago that the great Titanic sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. They had warning after warning that they were in dangerous territory and that there were icebergs. But they didn't pay attention. Not only that, but when they were struck, they sent out SOS signals for help. But some of the neighboring ships didn't pay any attention to them because the fellows working the, the radio were asleep. Are we asleep to the signals? Are we, are we likely to repeat the same mistakes? History has a way of repeating itself and it wasn't too long ago, matter of fact, 2012, that the Costa Concordia off the coast of Italy, instead of following the map that he was given, the captain deviated from the map and he ended up on the rocks. On that ship, there were 4,000 passengers who thought they were enjoying, going to enjoy a cruise. Most of them got evacuated from it, but there were 33 passengers and crews, crew members, who went down with the ship. Why? Because they didn't pay heed to the signs. Tonight, I want you to know that we are to follow the map that Jesus has given us. This book it says in Revelation 1.1, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we keep our eyes on him, as we follow the road map that he has given to us, we'll be on safe ground. 
There may be rocks around us, but he will steer us through this way. Our God is a powerful God. He's an all-knowing God. And tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about the master key to Bible prophecy. I want to invite you back for that. In the meantime, I want to have a word of prayer with you before we leave. That God will help us to pay heed to the signs. And you have, by the way, a, a, a guide sheet that talks about those signs, a guide booklet. And I invite you to, when you go home, read those over. Look up the text yourself. Get into the word. And God will bless you for it. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us tonight. We thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for the scriptures, the word of God. We thank you for the Savior that you have sent to us. He came the first time as a little baby in a manger. He was born to die. When he comes again, he's not going to do that again. When he comes again, he's going to come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's going to come as judge of the world to bring an end to wickedness, to reward those who have trusted in him. Help us, Lord, to galvanize our our sights and our faith on Jesus Christ that we may be among those who look up and say, Lo, this is our God. He will deliver us. In Jesus' name, amen.